0: All right, take your Bibles and open up to the middle part of your Bible. If you just kind of open it up generally, you'll find yourself landing somewhere most likely in the Psalms. And tonight will be kind of an overview. We'll look at Psalms in a very general sense. It's almost like you're flying and you're looking at things from a 30,000-foot view above. Uh, above the ground. You'll see the landscape of what's there. You'll be able to see some of the the water, the bodies of water that are present. You'll be able to see some of the hills and valleys. Um, But the idea is that we see a grand picture of what Psalms actually reveal, uh, which ultimately point us to uh, Christ. So let's take some time tonight and look at the book of Psalms. And as we begin, let's talk a little bit about what some people have said uh, about Psalms. Uh, There's one individual by the name of uh, Abraham Lincoln that said, like in looking at the whole book of the Bible, uh, that Psalms is like the best that there is. Now, I'm not sure that he is the uh, the best representation of what to believe when it comes to the Bible, but he's the one that looked at uh, the book and said, this is the best that there is. But in the book of Psalms, you find uh, the longest book of the Bible and also the shortest book of the Bible. So the longest book being Psalm 119 and then the shortest book. Uh, You also find that Psalms is probably more than any other book in the Bible, um, probably the most quoted that you see. It's one of the five wisdom psalms, and it's different than any other book of the Bible uh, that you could read. So in the the book of Psalms, some things that you're going to find as we look at uh, this book today, you'll find the heart of the Old Testament. You'll see that presented all throughout 150 psalms that we'll see Uh, You'll find how the law intersects with each person in the book of Psalms. So here's what God desires of his people, and here's how it intersects with each individual person, that perfect intersection. Here you'll find uh, uh, people reflective on the things that they're facing in their lives. In the book of Psalms, you find this sense of uh, honesty and vulnerability that many of the other books of the Bible don't necessarily reveal. Here uh, in the book of Psalms, you see uh, people being honest about where they are, which in some cases helps us to resonate with what we actually see in Psalms, Uh, meaning that there is almost a psalm for every season that you'll face in your life. Whether you're walking through joy, moments of joy and gladness where you're celebrating the goodness of God, you find that in Psalms. Whether you're walking through loss and grief and heartache, you, you find that in Psalms. When you're walking through anxiety and fear and you're overwhelmed with the circumstances that are around you, find all of that present in Psalms. When it seems as if the whole world is up against you and you feel isolated and alone, that's there in the book of Psalms. When it seems as if God has kind of forgotten you and abandoned you, you find there uh, that in the book of Psalms as well. You find uh, wisdom in the book of Psalms. It's obviously one of the five wisdom books, and so therefore, being one of the five wisdom books, it shows us what God's desire for our lives actually is. You find understanding with how God works in the book of Psalms. You find what it means to be honest before the Lord in the book of Psalms. And all that to say, you, you find really a lot of what you need in your everyday life in the book of Psalms, which really for us, Uh, makes the book of Psalms one of our favorite books of the Bible. So that's kind of an introduction with what we're looking at tonight. Let's talk a little bit about authorship. Now, when we talk about Psalms, uh, one of the first people that we think of, when we think of authors or people that have written Psalms, uh, the first person is who? Yell it out. David. David. That's right. Uh, David is one of the, uh, the chief writers of the Psalms. He wrote 73 Psalms, 73 Psalms. That's a lot, 73 psalms. You find Solomon, Uh, you find King Solomon writing two different psalms. You find Moses writing one psalm, which is Psalm 90. You find Asaph uh, writing 12 different psalms, Asaph writing 12. The sons of Korah writing 11. And then here's a kicker that maybe you didn't know, you've got 50 that are unknown uh, in authorship. Meaning that there are 50 psalms that were not quite sure who actually wrote these books. These were priests, these were Levites most likely, but we don't exactly know who the author is. Now with there being so many different authors and so many different people that have written these psalms, it does mean that for dating purposes it kind of becomes difficult to date when these psalms were actually written. But we do know uh, that the first psalm that was actually written was by Moses. Obviously beginning with The Old Testament, he uh, he wrote uh, Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2. So the first place that I'd like you to go in your Bible tonight is actually in Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2. This was penned by Moses before the other psalms were written. And this is what the writer says. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or uh, ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So this was the first psalm that was written, this were the, these were the first two verses of that psalm that were written. Here you have Moses proclaiming the steadfast faithfulness and the love of God from the very beginning. So Moses writes Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2 as the first psalm. Uh, the book comes to a close, the last psalm that was written is 127, so if you've got your Bible open, scroll over to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 says this. <clears throat> a song of a sense of Solomon, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Uh, it is in vain that you rise up early and go to late uh, go late to rest, eating the bread of the anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of The womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the last psalm that was written, Psalm 127, sometime around 586 B.C. or so. So it begins with Psalm 90. That was the first one that was written. The last psalm is Psalm 127. And because of that, because of the ordering there, you'll see that there's not a lot of when it comes to writing. It's not as if uh, Psalm 1 was the first one that was written and Psalm 150 was the last. These are kind of interchanged and kind of categorized by book, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments. So Psalm 90 the first, Psalm 127 will be the last. So when looking at Psalms, when looking at all 150 chapters of what we see in the middle of our Bible, uh, what are some identifying factors? Really, like how could we uh, define Psalms in some way? Like, what, what points us to what they really are. The first way that you can identify Psalms is this, is that it's a collection of prayers, a collection of poems, a collection of songs, and a collection of hymns. Now think about how broad that spectrum is. There's prayers. You find uh, so many prayers listed in the Psalms where you've got guys like David laying out their very heart before the Lord. We've talked about this time and time again, uh, but you find in Psalm 13, David, the psalmist, laying out his heart before the Lord, feeling as if he's been abandoned, feeling as if God has forsaken him. This is David laying out his prayers before the Lord. So you find that it's a collection of prayers. Uh, Secondly, you find that it's a collection of poems. Now, when you think about something that is uh, poetic or you think about a poem in particular, you think about something that has taken a little bit of effort ...to write down and put together. Poems are not easily crafted. It takes time. It takes thought. It takes intentionality. It's not as if someone just sits down and off the top of their head... ...writes down whatever they're thinking about. It takes an art. It takes a little bit of crafting to put it into words in the exact way. So think about Psalm 119, which Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible... Uh, has um, almost 150 verses in it. It's significantly longer than most of the other psalms that we see. But here you find some really specific way that the writer went about by putting this into uh, pen and paper. He goes to the Hebrew alphabet, writing specifically like the, the, the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew letters, each line beginning with that specific Hebrew letter in sequential order. So it takes effort and intentionality to bring that about. So it's a collection of prayers. It's a collection of poems. It's a collection of songs. You'll find that a lot of the psalms that were written were actually uh, songs that were to be sung together. Now, some of you guys might like that thought, thinking about singing, you know, singing psalms that you see. For other people like me, it might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but that's the idea: that you have psalms that were written that were intended to be sung together. And then lastly, hymns that would be theological framework that we could hold on to in worship. So you find all of these things mentioned and seen in Psalms. The second identifying characteristic that you see about Psalms is this, is that you see the very heart of God on display. You see the heart of God on display. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, uh, you find that God's heart is on display in all of the chapters that you see, but oftentimes it's sometimes difficult to see the very heart of God. But here in the Psalms, you see God's heart fully on display, his love for his people, his love that points us to to Jesus. You find God's heart on display, the third identifying characteristic of the Book of Psalms is this: is that you see this very large God that is sovereign, that creates all things, as we see in Psalm 8, that says that uh, majestic is the Lord that creates all things, that brings uh, breathes life into all things. Where there's nothing, He creates and brings something in substance. This very large and sovereign God that rules over everything that's been created is also very personal, is very near and very present. So you see this unbelievably large God, now unbelievably personal. You see that these psalms, they point us to the person of Jesus. We'll look at these in just a few moments, but Psalm 2 and Psalm 22 are great messianic psalms that point us to the person of Jesus. And then lastly, you see that these psalms are really the cries of God's people. Where you see prayers listed, where you see uh, the very words of people uh, where they're laying out their hearts before the Lord. This is their cries to the God that created, created them. And as these people are crying out to God and hurt and anxiety and fear, we see that this leads us to Jesus because he is the answer to their crying, their fear, their anxiety. So we see all of these identifying characteristics for psalms. Now, when we're identifying and putting these psalms into categories... There are five different categories for the psalms. The first is this. Uh, I just mentioned one of these just a moment ago. Uh, but psalms of lament. Psalms of lament. That's the first category for psalms. Now, a psalm of, of lament is, uh, is really this. It's a journey. It's a journey from someone feeling uh, troubled, feeling overwhelmed, uh, that leads them to a place of being joyful in who God is. It's not merely someone looking at their circumstance, looking at their situation and saying, you know what, I'm complaining to God, I'm discontent with where I am, and ending there. A psalm of lament always starts with someone being honest and ends with someone being able to praise God for, for who he is. Two psalms of lament that I want us to look at tonight uh, are Psalm 12 and Psalm 13. Now, as you look at Psalm 12, Psalm 12 is a, uh, like a lament for a community, kind of this group gathering. So look at Psalm 12 if you can with me for a quick moment. Look at verse one of Psalm twelve. It says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips, and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off a flattering all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue, we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Verse seven, look at this. There's kind of a change. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as violence is exalted among the children of man. So there's this, uh, there's this complaint that's brought before the Lord in the beginning of this psalm, and it ends with the psalmist being able to say, Lord, you'll keep them. You'll guard us in this generation forever. So that's a a corporate, this communal type of lament. But then if you go one psalm over in Psalm 13, what we just referenced a second ago, this is what David says. This is more of a uh, a private, like an individual psalm of lament. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David is laying out in verses 1 and 2 this, uh, this feeling of constraint, this feeling of being overwhelmed, this feeling of being anxious, this feeling of being forgotten and left behind. Verse 3, he begins to ask the Lord specifically. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. So he lays out where he is in verses 1 and 2, verses 3 and 4. He asks God specifically to do something. And then in verse 5 and 6, he begins to praise God for who he is. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Uh, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is all in one writing. This is all in one, uh, one like sw- a swipe with a pen. This is David sitting down, going from this place of complaint to now he's in a place of being able to praise God for who he is. This is a, a psalm of lament. It's always a journey. The second type of psalm that you see is a, uh, really a-, a psalm of praise, a hymn of praise, uh, which ultimately calls us to admire God for who he is And really like all that he possesses. You see uh, Psalm 145. Roll over to Psalm 145 if you can. Psalm of praise is for admiring God and his attributes. Lord, here is who you are. I admire who you are. I admire the fact that you're holy. I admire the fact that you're different. I admire the fact that you have loved us greatly. This is who he is. Verse 1 says this. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. So here from the very beginning and through the rest of this psalm in 145, you see that David is putting on display a hymn of praise simply because of who God is. What God possesses, his attributes. Psalm 8 says the same thing. Go over to Psalm 8. Many of you could probably recite parts of Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and infants. You've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Look at verse 3. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So here is David looking to the Lord, the creator God, for who he is, admiring his attributes, his holiness, his power, his perfection, his creative ability, and that leads him to a place where he's able to see who he is in comparison to how majestic and mighty God really is. So we have Psalms of lament, we have psalms of praise. The third type of psalm that we see is a psalm of thanksgiving. So this is a little bit different than a psalm of praise. Psalms of praise focus on who God is. Psalms of thanksgiving focus on specific things that God has done. If you go to verse uh, chapter 9, look at what verse 1 says. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful Deeds, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you at your presence. You've maintained my just cause. You've sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You've rebuked the nations. You've made the wicked perish. You've blotted out their name forever and ever. So over and over again, he's reciting the things that God has specifically done. So Psalms of praise focus on the character of God and Psalms of thanksgiving focus on really what God has done. Now, I know many of us in this room have uh, lifted up personal and specific prayers to God at many different points in our lives. Maybe it was for the healing of someone that was close to us. Uh, Maybe it was for some financial situation that we were walking through. Maybe it was some difficult situation that you were navigating with work. Uh, But at some point or another, you've laid something specific before the Lord. A psalm of thanksgiving is this. It's you coming back and you being able to say, Here's what you have done, Lord. Here's how you've answered my prayer. And God, I'm I'm thanking you specifically for doing what I've asked you to do. This is what David is doing with the Psalms of Thanksgiving. So you've got Psalms of lament. You've got Psalms of praise. You've got Psalms of thanksgiving. Uh, The fourth type that you see uh, are Psalms or hymns celebrating God's law. Celebrating God's law. Now, I'll get you to turn over to Psalm 119. We're not going to read all of Psalm 119 together. But Psalm 119, as I mentioned before, the longest chapter uh, in the Bible, and all of it focuses its attention on the value of God's word. So Psalm 119 is one of many that you find that focuses its attention uh, on truly understanding and putting value on the fact that God's word is something significant in the life for a believer. And there's a reason for that. We believe that God's word is essential for for our life and godliness, as we see in 2 Peter. Uh, We see that God's word provides us guidance in life. We see that God's word provides us life itself. Like in God's word, we find all that we need for all that we need in life. So we see uh, that uh, Psalms is focused on celebrating God's law. And then the last type of psalm that we see uh, is a song of Ascent, which were songs that were sung as believers were on their way up to Jerusalem. And you find that Psalm uh, 120 to 134, this big section kind of in the middle towards the end, uh, this big section is focused on uh, singing as they were going up to Jerusalem. So Psalms of lament, uh, Psalms of praise, thanksgiving, celebrating God's law, and then Psalms of ascent. All right, now, when we're looking at the whole book of Psalms, we're attempting to put some, uh, some themes and some words to describe Psalms together. One of the first themes that you see uh, is this theme of worship. There's a theme of worship. There are a couple of words that you see present all throughout Psalms. Uh, usually, you find them in kind of a descriptor that leads into the Psalm. sometimes in the middle of the Psalm. Uh, but the first word that you oftentimes see is this word, Selah. Everybody say that. Selah. Uh, many of you are probably thinking about a um, southern gospel group, Selah, you know, that used to be popular back in the 2000s or so, uh, but Selah is a, is a word that really means to meditate and to pause. We find an example of that in Psalm 3. Uh, there's another word that you see that's called a Shimonith. It's a musical or liturgical term. There's a third word that you oftentimes see. Maybe you've not seen this one before, but it's called Shagion. Psalm 7 gives us an example of that but it's a musical and a liturgical term, and what that really points us to is that oftentimes in the Psalms, we see that uh, they point us to what it truly means to worship the God who is, who was, and will be. So one of the big themes that we see in Psalms is that of worship. Another another theme that we see in Psalms uh, is monotheism, monotheism. Uh, which we believe and what we uh, could easily say that we believe that there is one God who created all things. This God exists in three persons, God the Father, uh, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? So we see that there is this theme of monotheism all throughout the Word of God, or all throughout the book of Psalms and the Word of God, but specifically in Psalms. Uh, The third theme that we see is creation and fall, We see creation and fall present. There are moments that we see, just like in Psalm 8 and Psalm 9, we see that God is majestically creating and breathing things into existence out of his great power, out of his great might. But we also see the evidence of sin present in Psalms as well. If you look at Psalm 51, uh, you find the psalmist laying out his very heart before the Lord as he is repenting and turning away from his sin with Bathsheba. So you see creation and fall present. Uh, You see covenant present as well. God having a great love for his people, making promises to them, caring for them, providing for them. And then lastly, as a theme, you see uh, the theme of eschatology, which is this. It's this idea of us uh, being pointed to the future hope that we have as believers. So those are some themes that we see present all throughout the book of Psalms. Now let's talk a little bit about the structure. So you got 150 chapters, uh, how is this book actually broken, broken up? Is it uh, chronological from, you know, Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 50? Is there some sort of sequence that happens there? Not necessarily. Uh, the best way that you can look at the structure of Psalms is to look at uh, the Psalms in, like, books. So the first book that we see is really Psalms 1 all the way through Psalm 41. So Psalm 1 through Psalm 41. This is the first book that we see Uh, And in this book, like in these, you know, 41 chapters, uh, you see this king, this blessed king uh, lift up prayers to God and see that this God promises uh, specific things to this king, uh, this blessed life that he promises to them despite the attacks of the enemy. So Psalm 1 through Psalm 41 lays that out for us. And in each of these books, all five books that we'll talk about in just a second, you find that each one ends in a very specific way. So while they cover different content, maybe not necessarily being chronological or being sequential, you find at the end of every single book, so we look at Psalm 41, Psalm 72, Psalm 89, I'll talk about these in just a second, Psalm 106, and even Psalm 146, you find that there's a doxology present in each of the way that these uh, books actually comes to a close. So as you come to a close of Book 1, Chapters 1 through 41, uh, look at Psalm 41. Verse 13, look at the way that the writer brings this to a close. Look at this doxology. And we would say that a doxology is really just us being able to lift a a song of praise to the God who is, who was, and will be. So Psalm 41 says this, verse 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So this is the way that Psalm 41 ends, but this is the way that book one of Psalms comes to a close. Book two picks up in chapter 42, so if you roll over one page, see chapter 42, all the way through chapter 72, uh, you see that this is the second book of Psalms. Uh, Now these, 42 um, through all the way through uh, 72, these are the sons of Korah that have written these Psalms. And so here uh, in this section, you find that David brings the ark back into Jerusalem, which kind of uh, syncs us up with 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, You also find that in this section of Psalms uh, that David uh, has sins with Bathsheba. Uh, He ends up laying out his sin before the Lord. You find this in Psalm chapter 51. And then you gradually see David begin to slowly recover uh, from his sin. And you see the doxology in Psalm 72 verses 18 and 19. So kind of the same way that Psalm uh, Forty-one represents the closing of the book. In verse thirteen, uh, you find the same thing take place in Psalm seventy-two, verses eighteen and nineteen. So, if you've got your Bibles, go there. Psalm seventy-two, verses eighteen and nineteen. Verse eighteen of Psalm seventy-two says this: <clears throat> "Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory." Amen and amen. So this is a psalm, a song pointing to uh, the goodness and the glory of God as book two comes to a close. Book three begins with Psalm 73 and leads us all the way through Psalm 89, so a section of psalms there. And here you've got the reign of King David to the reign of King Solomon and on through the exile. You find all of that covered through this third uh, book of Psalms, and you find the, the doxology in Psalm 89, verse 52. Psalm 89, verse 52 says this. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. So book three comes to a close. Book four picks up with Psalm 90, carries us all the way over to uh, Psalm 106. Uh, here, you find uh, that you've got uh, Moses praying here in Psalm 90, verses 1, uh, all the way through 13. You find that here Israel is turning and, uh, and turning back towards God. God relents, shows them grace, and you find the doxology in Psalm 106, verse 48. And then you find the last book, uh, Psalm 107 through Psalm 150. And you see here the, the, the mercy and the salvation that Israel has prayed for has now happened. It's now come. And the book is full of praise. The doxology you see is four chapters long, Psalm 146, all the way through Psalm 150. So this is the way that the book is broken down. You've got five different books all together, and they kind of show us this general story from the beginning all the way to to the end. So when it comes to using the Psalms personally, when it comes to taking this this book that contains 150 songs, uh, prayers, poems. How is it that you can use psalms in your own life? The first way that you can use psalms is like this. You can use the psalms as a template for devotion. A template for devotion. Sometimes like one of the most difficult things in life as a Christian is is really figuring out how to have the best and most effective quiet time you can have. Like there might be a desire uh, for you to be able to walk with the Lord. And there might be a desire that you have to spend time in God's word. There might be a desire that you have to spend time in intentional prayer. But sometimes it's difficult to know exactly what that looks like. Sometimes it's difficult to know what, what is the first step that I should take to make that a reality for me. So in the Psalms, you find a very easy to follow template for devotion. The first way that you can look at this is a kind of a template for prayer you look at Psalm 4, I want you to read verse 1 with me if you can. Psalm 4, verse 1 says this. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will I love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Verse 6 says, there are many who say who will, uh, who will show us some good. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Psalm 4 is a great place for you to begin if you're wanting to deepen in your own personal prayer life. You can use Psalm 4 as kind of a guide to teach you what it looks like to pray. So you can use Psalms as a template for for prayer. Oftentimes, there's a a guy by the name of Don Whitney. He actually wrote a book called Praying the Bible. Uh, We advertised it a while back as a book of the month for us. Uh, And he suggests in in that book that you can take a psalm a day, and you can read through that psalm every day, which uh, really puts you reading through the book of Psalms in about three months or so. Uh, You look at those psalms. And you can use it as a guide and a template for your own personal prayer life. So as you're reading through a psalm, you can allow each line that you see, each word that you see that kind of triggers a thought in you, you can use that as a way to spur and to start your own personal prayer. So Psalm 4 would be a great place for you to start to be able to do that. So you can use it as as a guide. The second way that you can use psalms as a template for devotion is this. You can use it to help you with, with worship. Psalm 96, verses 1 through 3 say this. But the Lord made the heavens, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering and come into his courts, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him all the earth. If we're looking for a guide for what it looks like to genuinely worship God for who he is, we can find that in Psalm 96. And Psalm 96 is not a psalm that's in isolation. There are other psalms that actually reveal the very exact thing, that we can find a template of what it looks like to ascribe glory and and, and praise to a God who is deserving and worthy of it. So we can use it for a template for prayer. We can use it as a template for worship. We can use it also as a guide for repentance. A guide for repentance. Psalm 91 says this. Or excuse me, not Psalm 91. Psalm 51 says this. This is a a psalm that you probably know pretty well. But this is David. And we know the setting uh, of Psalm 51. We know what's happened in David's life. We know that uh, David should have been out at war. We know that he should have been at, at battle doing what he was supposed to be doing, fulfilling his responsibilities We know that David ended up looking across and seeing uh, someone and gazing up on the beauty of another that wasn't his wife. We know that he took this woman, brought her into his home, um, committed adultery with this woman. And here in Psalm 51, you find David laying out his heart before the Lord, confessing his sin before God. This is what he says in verse 1. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom and the secret heart. He goes on to continue to repent in this psalm. But you find out what it truly looks like to repent and to turn away from sin. David is not shying away from the reality that his sin has separated him from God. In fact, he would say boldly uh, that his bones were wasting away when he was living in his sin. And he shows us and models for us what we do in those moments where sin takes over our life. We lay it before God and we repent and turn away from it. David does that in Psalm 51. And then lastly, as a template for devotion, we can use the Psalms for stirring when you feel spiritually dry. I don't know about you, but I know that my own flesh, my own soul battles this consistently. There's either, uh, you're either progressing forward in your walk with Christ and you're growing in him, growing in devotion, deepening in your walk with him, deepening in your love for him, deepening in your love for his word, or you're finding yourself in a place where you're growing cold and dry to the things that should stimulate and stir your soul. So this is a battle that each of us faces almost daily. And in those moments where we're battling up against spiritual dryness and we're not quite sure what to do, when we look at the Bible and we tend to yawn because it might seem a little boring or seem irrelevant, what do we do in those moments? So Psalms models for us exactly what we do uh, in those moments. If you look at Psalm 42, uh, verses 1 and 2, look at what David says. He says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Uh, When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So we look at Psalm 42 here, and we see that David is in this position where he is thirsting after God as a deer would pant for streams of water. This is David. So, if we're in a place of being spiritually dry, we can look at the Psalms and say, God, would you cause me to love your word so much that I pant for your word like a deer pants for water? Would you cause me to desire your word more than anything else? We can use that uh, as a template for us to kind of overcome and battle up against spiritual dryness. So we can use the Psalms as a template for devotion. Secondly, we can use the Psalms for encouragement. We can use the Psalms for encouragement. I don't know about you, uh, but I would say I need encouragement almost every single day. If I asked the room tonight, like how many of us need encouragement, the majority of us would probably raise our hands and say, yes, I need encouragement, not just once a day, but probably multiple times a day. We battle up against hard things in life. The plates that we carry are incredibly heavy and weighty, oftentimes overwhelming in seasons of life, but we look to the Psalms and we can find great encouragement. When when life is hard, we can look at Psalm 43, verse 5, that says this, why are you cast down on my soul? We just read this a second ago. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So we find Psalm 43 that reminds us and shows us that we should find our hope firmly planted in God. So we can find encouragement when life is hard. We can find encouragement when we are anxious, when we're anxious, when things are uh, going on in a chaos style around us and our minds can't seem to, to stop and it seems as if the mind is on repeat, cycling through conversations that you've had. Cycling through scenarios that you just seem to find yourself in. Worrying about the what-ifs in life, which all of us have been guilty of in in some uh, capacity. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2 say this. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust... So those who are His, those who uh, know the Lord will find themselves secured and sheltered. So when life is hard, when we're anxious and overwhelmed, we can find security, we can find shelter. We can see that He is our refuge, He's our fortress. We can find ourselves trusting in Him when the uh, scenarios around us find, um, when we find that the scenarios around us are not able to be trusted, we can find our trust firmly planted in Him. So when life is hard, when we're anxious. Even when we're surrounded, Psalm 71, even when we're surrounded. And this may not happen to you often, but there may be moments in your life when it seems as if everyone is kind of up against you. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's with the work situation that you're kind of walking through. But it might seem to be in your own mind that there are, there's a, an army of people kind of rising up against you, and you feel isolated, you feel alone, and you feel surrounded. Psalm 71, verses 1 through 11 can be encouragement to you. Psalm 71 says this. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You've given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked from the grasp of the unjust and the cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth upon you I've leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as important to many, but uh, you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day. Don't cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him, pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. So here David feels as if everybody is around him. People are mocking him, throwing things at him, saying that God has forgotten him and forsaken him, but he is firmly planting his feet upon the rock of Christ, trusting in who he is. And many of us have been in that situation before as well. We feel as if everyone's kind of surrounding Around us. So, when life is hard, when we are anxious, when we are surrounded, even when we feel forgotten, we can find encouragement in the Psalms. We read Psalm 13 a few moments ago. We see in there that David lays out that he feels abandoned, that he feels forsaken, he feels as if God has been distant from him. And here it is that we, in those moments where we feel the same way, we can identify and resonate with the author of Psalms when we feel forgotten. But what about when we feel tempted? We've covered a lot of things. We've, when life is hard, when we're anxious, when we're surrounded, when we feel forgotten. But what about when we're tempted? What about in those moments where temptation seems to be strong and almost impossible to overcome and to fight up against? Can we find encouragement and help in the Psalms in those moments? Go to Psalm 1. You find what we need in Psalm 1. Look at what the writer says as we begin the Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves uh, does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand In the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, in those moments where it seems as if temptation is strongly pressed around you, where it seems that that's the only option that's there, we can look at Psalm 1 and see that there are two uh, versions of life. There's the, the life where the man is blessed and happy and joyful in the Lord, and that is the man that's finding himself being obedient to God's word, meditating in God's word. ...turning away from sin. We see that this man is planted like a firm tree... Uh, ...set by streams of water. It's got fruit that's overflowing. But then you find the opposite. The other version, which is the man that is wicked... ...that falls into sin, that sits in the, uh, the seat of the scoffers... ...and the sinners, and, and those who are wicked. And destruction is coming to this man. So as we begin to see these two different versions of life... ...that temptation to us seems a little bit less appealing. So in those moments that you feel yourself tempted... Look to Psalm 1 to find the encouragement that you, that you need. So we can use the Psalms as a template for devotion. We can use the Psalms for encouragement. And then thirdly, look at this, we can f- use the Psalms to point us to Christ. We can use the Psalms to point us to Christ. And we find that not only do the Psalms do this, but we find that the entire Bible finds its center point on Christ and Christ alone finished work uh, through the gospel. So we see, first of all, the Psalms point us to Christ uh, as the Son of God. Psalm 2, verses 7, 8, and 9 say this, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces ...like a potter's vessel. Now look at verse 7... ...and think about where you might see that fulfilled... ...in the person and the work of Jesus. Psalm 7... ...or Psalm 2 verse 7... ...I will tell of the decree... ...the Lord said to me, you are my son... ...today I have begotten you. That might sound pretty familiar to you. In fact, if you go over to Matthew chapter 3... ...you've got your Bible, go there. Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. Look at what Matthew says... Matthew chapter 3 plants us right in the middle of Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist. And this is what we see in verse 17. After the baptism, Jesus comes up out of the water. Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The same language you see that Here in the Psalms, verse uh, chapter 2, that it's pointing us to Jesus as the Son of God. Behold, uh, I am well pleased in this Son. Secondly, we see that this points us to Christ uh, by being one that is praised by children. Look at Psalm 8, verse 2. Psalm 8, verse 2. David says this. Out of the mouth of babies and infants... You've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. You've heard that phrase before. Now let's connect that over to Matthew chapter 21, verse 15 and 16. Look at what the writer says in Matthew chapter 21. He says this in verse 15 and 16. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you ever, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise and loving them, he went out in the city to Bethany and lodged there. So here you find that these Psalms are messianic that they point us to. Christ, here being praised by children. We also see that these Psalms point us to Christ as the ruler of all. If you look at Psalm 8, verse 6, and you connect that over to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which say this: putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At the present, we don't get to see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death death for everyone. So here you find that the Psalms are pointing us to Christ as the ruler of all, perfectly being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Another way that you see that these psalms point us to the person of Jesus is by uh, being one that is betrayed by a friend. Look at Psalm 41, verse 9. Psalm 41, verse 9. Tonight is just like a night filled with Bible drills, you know? One after the other. But that's what you get when you have to combine two lessons into one. Psalm 41, verse 9. This is what David says. Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Think about that. Think about the specific language that David uses there. The close friend that I trusted who ate my bread, he's lifted his heel against me. How does that point us to the person of Jesus? Is there someone that comes to your mind? Obviously, there is someone that comes to your mind. you look to Luke chapter 22, you see this fulfilled in its entirety. Luke 22 says this. In verse 47. While he was still speaking, this is Jesus, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading him and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. So here you find the beginning where Judas would begin to betray the very Son of God, fulfilling what you see mentioned in Psalm 41, verse 9. So these point us to Christ as one that would be betrayed by a friend, these psalms also point us to Jesus uh, by being the eternal king that would reign for forever. You look at Psalm 45, verse 6. Psalm 45, verse 6 says this. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. And the same words, the very same words you see in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your righteousness is the scepter of the kingdom. So over and over again, we could continue on looking at how these psalms are perfectly fulfilled in Christ, but we see that these are pointing us to, Uh, the person of Jesus. So we can find that these psalms can be used for devotion. We can find that these psalms are used for encouragement. And we can find that these psalms ultimately point us to Jesus. Now, as we bring things to a close tonight, we've got 10 minutes left, 9 minutes left. I I want us to kind of recap some things that we can personally learn looking at the book of Psalms. The first thing is this, and this is where I think it becomes a little bit more application-minded, maybe devotional for us. The first is this, that we can learn from the Psalms, is that the Lord is worthy of our praise. The Lord is worthy of our praise. Sometimes in life, like depending on the situation that you're walking through, you might find yourself in a place where it's difficult to praise, like to praise God. But as you look at Psalms, like any of the Psalms, you find that over and over and over again, you find writers, authors, in places where life is difficult, hard, overwhelming to them, and yet they find themselves praising God for who he is. So despite the circumstance that you're walking through in your life, you can find something to praise God for, the fact that he's sustaining you like right now. The fact that he's breathing lung or breathing air into your lungs right now. The fact that he is sustaining your heartbeat right now. The fact that he's consistently providing for you right now. The fact that he brought you here tonight uh, to listen to the word of God being taught. Like that's uh, worthy to praise God for. The fact that you've got a family that, that is here tonight maybe learning in Awana. Like those are things that you can find yourself thankful praising God for. So God is worthy of our praise. The second thing that you can learn in looking at the Psalms is this. Is that the Lord can handle your honesty. The Lord can handle your honesty. You might be walking through a really, really hard time, and it might be that you're in a situation that no one else in this room can really understand or relate with. Maybe things are so difficult for you there, but you serve a God that knows you, that loves you, that is sovereign, that cares for you, and I promise you, is not caught off guard by your circumstance knows very well what you're walking through. And so therefore, you can, be, you can be honest with him. He already knows it. He knows what the outcome is going to be. So therefore, lay it boldly before the Lord. Whether that's sin that you're walking through and you're not quite sure how to repent and turn from it, look to Psalm 51 as a guide. Or whether that's you walking through a moment and season of life where you're anxious and overwhelmed, lay that before the Lord. He can handle your honesty. So you can see that he's worthy of your praise. He can handle your honesty The third thing that you can see in Psalms is this, is that the Lord remembers his own. The Lord remembers his own. You may feel forgotten as if God doesn't love or doesn't care for you. But if you are his, he knows you and he cares for you. The sovereign God that has created all things knows you personally and intimately and very well. He remembers. Fourthly, you can can know that the Lord's way is right. You can know that the Lord's way is right. That's the way that he works with his people, always doing what he desires because he's the one that's sovereign, but also knowing that his way is right in the word of God. You find a lot of the Psalms focusing on God's word and the value of God's word being holy and right and perfect. So You can find that his ways are always right. Even if you find yourself in a situation where it's tough to do the right thing, you can do the right thing because God has clearly carved the path out for you. So The Lord's way is right. You can find that the Lord is quick to forgive. The Lord is quick to forgive. Moments or seasons of sin, you can find that there's there's nothing that God can't forgive and cleanse. You can find that the Lord can be trusted and depended on cares for his people, he fulfills his promises, he's unbelievably faithful, he can be trusted. And then lastly, you can can see that the Lord is to be thanked. And this is different from the Lord being worthy of praise, this is specific things that God has done, specific things that you've laid out to God in prayer, that you can thank God for what he's done for saving the family member that was lost, for healing the disease that you were walking through, for healing your marriage, for bringing your children to faith, for providing it for you financially, for whatever it might be, you can find that the Lord is to be thanked. So that's the book of Psalms. Uh, we see from the beginning to the end, all of this points us to, to Jesus. So thank you guys tonight for uh, your patience. Thank you for bearing with us as we uh, work through a ton of notes. Thank you for bearing with us. If you are a little bit OCD and you want to get all the blanks filled in, thank you for adjusting as we needed to adjust. Uh, But let me pray for us, and uh, we'll wrap up this evening. Let me pray. Father, thank you for tonight. It's been a joy to be able to gather with your people and to look at the book of Psalms. We're thankful for the instruction that you can give us therein. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight uh, our eyes would be open to see your great love for us through Jesus, even portrayed in Psalms, and that that would point us uh, to grow in a deeper relationship with you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to see that you are knowable through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.